Hey guys, welcome to Line by Line. This is a podcast where you can hear expository teaching from the Word of God, line upon line, precept upon precept. So thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy it. God bless, and let's talk about the Bible. So tonight we're going to be in Psalm chapter 38 in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Psalms. The title of Psalm 38 is pretty interesting. It says, a Psalm of David to bring to remembrance. And that's interesting. I'm not exactly sure what David is specifically wanting to bring to remembrance here. Although he does seem to be very sick, both spiritually and physically in this Psalm, as we'll see as we move through it. So, he could be writing to remember just the severity of his anguish here. That's a possibility, the severity of his pain. Or he could be writing to remember the healing that God provided for his sickness. I'm not really sure. But the events recorded here were obviously of great importance to David. Therefore, he puts in the title, To Bring to Remembrance. This is obviously not something he wanted to soon forget. We see a very similar title also in Psalm 70, by the way, and we'll be there before you know it. But the theme of Psalm 38, I think, is that sin has consequences. I think that's an accurate theme for this psalm. Or you could say sin brings sorrow and suffering. Because we see that David is suffering from at least three different things here in this psalm. One of the things that David is suffering from is guilt for his own sin. The second thing that we see he's suffering from here in Psalm 38 is from physical pain. And number three, he's suffering from trouble from his enemies. So he's got a lot going on, but the question is, did David's sin bring all of this pain and suffering about? And honestly, as you read through this and as we study together through it, I think you'll see that, yeah, that actually seems likely. Tim Keller said this, he said the illness is linked to the psalmist's sin in some way, either as the physical effects of a tortured conscience or as the result of some foolish behavior or as a messenger sent to humble the psalmist and to bring him to his senses about the way that he's been living. So that's interesting, but I totally agree with that analogy or that synopsis there from Tim Keller. Because we read this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. Those whom the Lord loves, he chastens. But David obviously has a lot going on here. And so this is, I think, brought over him a a sense of being overwhelmed. I mean, he just seems to be very overwhelmed. And I think you can probably relate to that on some level in your life. Just being kind of at the end of your rope. I mean, several things can be overwhelming not the least of which would be guilt from your own sin. That can be very overwhelming. Physical pain can also be very overwhelming. And by the way, that can also be caused by your own sin. Trouble from those people who want to hurt you, that can also be very overwhelming. So David's going through all of these things. But remember, though we are helpless, and we are, we in and of ourselves are very helpless. We're never ever without help if we are in Christ Jesus. And sometimes our help comes in the form of 
correction. And I think we see that loud and clear in Psalm 38. So let me read it out loud and then we'll study through it verse by verse. Psalm 38, starting in verse 1, I'll be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. Psalm 38, a psalm of David, to bring to remembrance. Verse 1, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are full of inflammation and there is no soundness in my flesh. Verse 8, I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before you and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pants. My strength fails me. As for the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. Verse 11. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my relatives stand afar off. Those also who seek my life lay snares for me. Those who seek my hurt speak of destruction and plan deception all the day long. Verse 13. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear, and I am like a mute who does not open his mouth. Thus, I am like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth is no response. For in you, O Lord, I hope. You will hear, O Lord my God. For I said, hear me, lest they rejoice over me, lest when my foot slips, they exalt themselves against me. For I am ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare my iniquity. I will be in anguish over my sin. But my enemies are vigorous, and they're strong. And those who hate me wrongfully have multiplied. Those also who render evil for good, they are my adversaries because I follow what is good. Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God. Be not far from me. In verse 22, make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. So just a few initial observations here. Psalm 38, you probably know, is considered to be a penitential psalm. And that just simply means it's a psalm of confession, okay? And it's we see others in the book of Psalms, about six total in the book of Psalms that you would consider to be penitential psalms. But in Psalm 38, we see both emotional pain and we see physical pain, loud and clear. And they're likely a consequence of David being chastened by the Lord for his own sin, verse 1. So I think you could outline this psalm like this. If you wanted to just put a simple outline together, you could say verses 1 through 10, we see the affliction of sin. Because David feels the heaviness of his sin. We see that in verse 4. Verses 11 through 14, 14 we see the aloneness of sin. David feels hurt. He feels the hurt of sin, rather, in verse 12. And then in verses 15 through 22, we actually see the answer for sin. Because David cries out for help from God. That's in verse 22. So we see sin's affliction, the aloneness that sin causes, and then we see our answer for sin all in this psalm. David feels heavy, he feels hurt, and then he cries for help. Verse 22. And of course, we can also see David here in this psalm as a type of Christ as well. David was afflicted and alone in his suffering, wasn't he? 
just like Christ was on his cross. Yet David was burdened with his own sin. Christ, however, was burdened with our sin. David was being uh, chastened, rather, as a consequence for the sins that he himself had committed. But the chastisement for our peace, the Bible says, was on Christ. That's Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. So, you see, David's chastening is pointing toward a greater chastening, you could say. A substitute chastening, if you will, right? That would bring help and would bring healing to the world. So we understand that this world is sick and our problem is it's sick with sin. You and I are sick with sin. We're all hurting in some way or another. We all need help in some way or another. Paul said this in Romans chapter 8, verse 22. He said, all creation, all of it, groans and labors with birth pangs until now. And not only that, he says in the next verse, Romans 8.23, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. He's talking to you and me. That's believers. That's Christians. He said, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, for the redemption of our body. Amen. Because when Adam and Eve fell way back in the garden, I mean, they took creation down with them. They took it all down with them. We died physically. We died spiritually because of that. Thorns came up from the ground because of it. Men had to go to work. We see labor introduced, right? And we had to work in order to earn food or you know, by the sweat of our brow. Pain came into the world through childbirth because of sin. <clears throat> Excuse me. Rain began to come down from the sky. That's brand new because it used to just come up from the ground, right? But now that rain comes down from the sky, it comes down in things like thunderstorms, tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, all as a result of sin. And also disease entered our world as a result of that fall. And so now what I'm saying is everything is broken. Everything needs to be made new. And all of creation knows that. Okay, we know something's not right because sin brought death into the world and sin brought destruction to each and every one of us. And therefore, what do we do? Just like what Paul said we do, we groan and we wait and we're eager for the day when our bodies are finally and ultimately adopted forever and redeemed in glory. So praise God, we have that hope. And Paul said, actually, we're saved in that hope, that hope of adoption, that hope of final redemption, when everything's made right and made new again, Romans 8.24. So as we look into this psalm tonight, we need to remember who caused this mess that we're in. Okay, ultimately we did. Humanity caused this. Our sin brings about heartache. Our sin brings about health problems. Matthew Henry said this. He said, if there were not sin in our souls then there would be no pain in our bones, no illness in our bodies. I think he's right. Our sin is the cause of the brokenness that we live in, in this world, and that we see all around us. But praise God, we do have a cure, right? Christ is our cure. So remember Jesus and the suffering that he endured for you and for me as we look into the life of David here tonight in Psalm 38. 
Again, as I've said many times in this class, when you're reading through the book of Psalms, be on the lookout for Jesus because he's everywhere. So keep that in mind tonight as well. Verse 1, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. So David knows that he's utterly unable to take the wrath of God toward his sin. Okay, He can't do it. And of course, with New Testament revelation, we know that David didn't have to. Okay, because, and neither do we, right? Because Jesus took all of that upon himself at the cross. But David does admit that chastening is in order for sin. Okay, that's a good thing. And he asked God to discipline him. But if you don't mind, Lord, when you're not angry, right? And I think that's some great parenting advice as well. I mean, don't discipline your children in anger. But of course, God is just, God is righteous, and therefore, he, his discipline, rather, it's always going to be perfect. You're never going to have to worry about God's discipline getting out of hand. It's always going to be exactly and perfectly applied to each and every situation. Verse 2, for your arrows pierce me deeply and your hand presses me down. And I want us to look here for a minute at this very intense conviction. That's what we're looking at here. Conviction. It's as if God has David pinned to the ground. And his arrows of conviction are just piercing into David's conscience. Excuse me, very deeply. And I think, guys, that this is one of the really great graces of God. Okay? I think conviction is a grace of God. He doesn't let his children get away with sin, in other words. And praise God that he doesn't. He will pierce you, and he will press you, and he will make you completely uncomfortable in your sin. And again, we should thank him that he does that, because if we're not quick to confess our sin, then it can lead to a lot more trouble. Look at verse 3. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. So David admits here, that his physical health issues are in fact a direct result of his own sin. Again, sin has consequences, doesn't it? And many, many times those consequences are physical. I would refer you to Romans 1 for a further study on that issue. But I want you to look at God's response. God's not happy about this, not at all, because sin angers God. Therefore, if we choose to continue on in it, then he may not protect us from the consequences of it. And when that happens, then we become absolutely overwhelmed by our sin. Look at verse 4. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. So David's sins, look at this, are taller than he is. And they've become a burden that's just simply too heavy for him to carry. I mean, guys, the point here, I think, is we're not as strong as we think we are. Okay, our shoulders are not as broad as we think they are. And our sin is way more serious than we think it is oftentimes. Sin is a burden that is too heavy for us to bear. So never ever take sin lightly. Okay, because unconfessed sin will ultimately consume you. And the burden of it will absolutely crush you. It's too heavy for you. So the moment that you feel the gracious hand of God pressing down on your soul, confess your sin. 
Be quick to confess your sin. Do it immediately. Don't let your sins stack up higher than your head like David has done here and become a burden for you that is too heavy to carry. Okay, I mean, David, he might have waited too long. Look at verses 5 through 8. He says, My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long, for my loins are full of inflammation, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. So notice, the sins that once stretched way above David's head, they were taller than him, have now bowed him to the ground because they are too heavy to carry. The heaviness of that sin has him doubled over right now in pain, as William MacDonald put it. Guys, our foolishness can manifest itself in our life like a foul, festering wound, verse 5. Our sin is like a gut punch, okay, that causes trouble and mourning all day long. It's relentless, in other words, verse 6. I mean, look at this description again. Look at the result of sin in the life of a believer. I mean, is this how you want to feel? No, of course not. I mean, we become fully inflamed and feeble, unsound, the word says, and severely broken, verses 7 and 8. And our heart is in turmoil, and all we can do is groan. Wow, what a description. I mean, physical illness can come from sin because disease is a direct result of sin. So here's the deal. Don't get comfortable in it. Never, ever get comfortable in your own sin. Sin is a disease, and ultimately what it will do is kill you. And the turmoil and the groaning in the heart of a believer over their sin is actually a very, very good thing. Okay, so thank God for his loving conviction in your life. Because the word for groan here, it's very interesting. The word that David uses for groan means to roar. So think about that. That intensifies this grief a little bit, doesn't it? David is roaring in pain. So what does this tell us? I mean, I think it tells me that unrepentant sin in my life is no small thing. Not at all. I should never take sin lightly. And if necessary, what God will do is make us roar in turmoil until we confess it. He will make us very, very uncomfortable in our sin as believers in Christ. So pay attention to that. Pay attention to, pay attention to the turmoil and the groaning in your heart. That's conviction. That's a grace of God. When you feel your heart getting pressed down and those arrows piercing your heart, the first thing we need to do is confess our sin, right? Don't let unrepentant sin cause you that kind of anguish that could even lead to physical ailments along the way. So pay attention to it. Respond to it with confession and repentance. Conviction is not there so that we can feel comfortable in our sin. No, it's there so that we will confess it. Verse 9, Lord, all my desire is before you, and my sighing is not hidden from you. Now, remember last week when we were in Psalm 37. In verse 4, David said, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. But here we see that David's desires are actually laid out before the Lord, meaning they're exposed. His desires are not given to him. They're exposed by God. Why? 
It's because David has not delighted in God. Okay? And just as David's desire for sin has been brought out into the open now, so has his grieving, or the word he uses is sighing. Okay, it's not been hidden from the Lord either. All of this is out in the open. His grief, his pain, his sinful desires, it's out there. So what we learn here is public sin requires public repentance. I like what Pastor David Guzik says here. He says, our instinct is to follow the pattern of Adam and Eve and hide our sin and hide from God. But David here is an example of the kind of unconcealed communication that is important for the one who truly desires God. Amen. Now, I do believe, however, that we see David shift his desire as well. We see a shift here because the conviction of God as a consequence of his sin has made David do some things. It's working, okay? He has it has brought back his desire for God through this remorse that he has for sin. In other words, the conviction is working. Okay, look at verse 10. He says, My heart pants, my strength fails me. As for the light of my eyes, it has also gone from me. So David's heart races here with remorse and regret. Okay, you see the momentum building on this conviction. He has lost all of his strength. He can't even see straight. The light of his eyes is now gone. This speaks, I believe, to depression. Okay, what I think is happening here in verse 10 is that David has reached rock bottom. And he's overwhelmed completely by his sin and the regret that he has because of his sin. And he just can't see any way out right here. He feels alone. Verse 11, my loved ones and my friends, they stand aloof from my plague and my relatives stand afar off. Now, maybe you've heard that expression you know, hey, man, this guy avoided me like the plague. You know, it's a figure of speech. You know, that's what David says that his friends and family have done here. They've just avoided me like the plague. Okay? We're not sure exactly what David considered to be his plague here. I don't know if it, he actually had leprosy or whatever. I don't know. Um, but we know that it was a result of his sin and that it, it affected him. And it wasn't just affecting him physically. No, he was affected both internally and externally by this. Okay, and people around him, they did treat him like he was a leper because of that. Okay, but it shouldn't be unexpected because, as I've said many times before, what sin does is sin will isolate you. That's what you should expect if you choose to live in sin is isolation. Sin isolates, but Christ congregates. Sin will separate you from your God and from the ones that you love and completely isolate you. And it will do that so that it can totally consume you. Your sin has separated you from your God. That's what Isaiah says. Think about it like this. Caribou, for example. Animals. This caribou in particular. They run in herds. Why? To escape the danger of the lion. They stay together, right? Christians should also stay together. But our sin is going to take us away from that safety that we find in the herd, if you will. The safety that we have is together in our fellowship. When we pull away or our sin takes us away from that fellowship, then we are in danger. Okay? And that's what sin wants to do is take you straight into the pathway of danger. So be careful. Don't be isolated by your sin. Don't let it get that far. Confess it and get back into the community of believers. Verse 12. 
Those also who seek my life lay snares for me. Those who seek my hurt speak destruction and plan deception all the day long. So obviously, David is not only troubled by his own sin, but as I mentioned before, he's also troubled by those who seek his destruction. So this is the third of the three sufferings that we see from David in this psalm. Again, one, the inward guilt from his own sin. That's the first one. The second one is the outward pain that was a result of his own sin. And now three, outside trouble from other people and their sin. So the three sufferings of sin are inward guilt, outward pain, and outside trouble. But I hope you can sense the utter anguish here from David. I mean, he's, he's going through it here. He's absolutely overwhelmed. He knows that he's blown it, and he feels terrible about that, and he's paying the consequences for that as well. Again, sin has consequences, and yet the pressure from those who want to hurt him, it just won't let up. This is all beginning to snowball. I mean, they still set traps, and they plan destruction for him, and they do it all day long, the Word says. So don't ever let anybody tell you that being a Christian is easy. Because I'm here to tell you that it's not. And if you've been a believer very long, you can validate that claim. You know that to be true. Sin will still come at you from every side. People will still try to hurt you very bad. They're going to kick you when you're down. That's because our enemy is relentless like that. Okay, so He's not going to stop pursuing you until he thinks that he's destroyed you. The roar of the enemy is often just as loud as the roar of our own groaning. So what are we to do about that? Well, I think we need to do exactly what David did. And we see a big turn in this psalm in in verse 13. We need to learn to block out the noise. Look at what David did in verse 13. He said, but I, like a deaf man, do not hear. And I am like a mute who does not open his mouth. Interesting, David has become deaf to the attacks of the enemy. I mean, he won't even give them the satisfaction of acknowledging that they exist. The word says he does not open his mouth. And I wonder, does that sound familiar to you? Luke, in Acts chapter 8, verse 32, when speaking of Jesus, and by the way, he was also quoting from Isaiah 53, 7, he said this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And this is exactly what David is doing. He said, verse 14, Thus I am like a man who does not hear, and in whose mouth is no response. So believers, why do we listen to the noise? Why do we let it get to us? Why do we listen to the naysayers out there? And why do we warrant their attacks with a response? Why? Why do we respond? David didn't. Jesus didn't. So why do we? I mean, why do we waste our time trying to defend ourselves against the lies of the enemy? I mean, do we not trust the ability of our God to do that? Do we actually think that we have a better response to our own enemies than God does? Here's how God said it. Romans chapter 12, verse 19, he said, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That's how he's going to deal with it. Or do we defend ourselves in hopes that I don't know, maybe we can make ourselves look better in the eyes of those people who are attacking us or bringing us hurt or pain or sinning against us. But I hope that's not the case. Lord, help us if that is the case, right? Because James chapter 4, verse 4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So take this right here from this passage. You don't owe your critics a response. Okay? You answer to God, not man. Remember that. Verse 15, for in you, O Lord, I hope. You will hear, O Lord, my God. So David rightly saves all of his words for his God. He doesn't waste them blabbing back at those who are trying to hurt him. And notice he does this because God will hear. That's a promise. God will hear. Our enemies are also the enemies of God, and they don't care to hear what we have to say. They don't want to hear from us. All they want to do is destroy us, destroy our reputations, and so on and so forth. But the truth that we see here in verse 15 is that our God does want to hear from us. He absolutely does want to hear from us. So direct your hope toward him. Lift your voice to him, not in the futility of trying to defend yourself against your enemies. The hope of every man is in God, and it's in God alone. Verse 16, For I said, Hear me, lest they rejoice over me, lest when my foot slips they exalt themselves against me. Now, of course, David is hoping that God is going to spare him from public humiliation here. Okay, I mean, nobody wants to be shamed publicly, for sure. But notice, David knows that this is only going to happen if God hears him. So David understands that it's, not, that it's only God who can both restore him from his sin and keep his enemies from rejoicing over him in sin. So I wonder, how much better off would church at the church at large, okay? How much better off would the church at large be if our complaints were only heard in the throne room of heaven, not in the seats of the sanctuary? Think about that. As Christians, we need to spend more time bending God's ear and less time bending one another's ear. Verse 17. For I am ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me. So David is obviously at the breaking point now. Okay, and all he can see before him is his own sorrow. But you know, sin has a way of doing that. Sin has a way of clouding our vision. Sin distorts things. It makes us dizzy in our own sorrow to the point of even falling down. But just before he fell, David did something very critical. David finally fesses up. He said this in verse 18, For I will declare my iniquity. David says, I'm confessing my sin right now. I will be in anguish over my sin. How was he in anguish before? Over the guilt, over the pain, and over the outside trouble that he felt as a result of his sin. Now he said, I'm going to be in anguish over my sin. Okay, so here we see the honesty and the beauty of real repentance. We see the confession and the remorse over sin, and it's beautiful. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, For godly sorrow produces re repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So the sorrow of the world is akin to being sorry that you just got caught sinning. That's what that's like. But godly sorrow is different. Okay, Godly sorrow is the kind of sorrow that will lead you to repentance. In David's words, he says, I will have anguish over my sin. You see the difference? It's huge. There is no real repentance without real remorse, without real sorrow, without real anguish. 
Okay, and Scripture promises salvation to those who do, in fact, genuine, genuinely repent of their sins. Proverbs 28.13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Again, a promise from the Word of God. Thank you, Lord. But as we also see in Scripture, there's going to be those who offer up a fake sorrow. Okay? And that's going to lead them or leave them, rather, on the pathway to death. And as we learned last week in our study of Psalm 37, their time is very, very short. So they're going to continue to fight and to hang on just as long as they can. And we see this in verses 19 and 20. But my enemies are vigorous, and they are strong. And those who hate me wrongfully have multiplied. Those also who render evil for good... They are my adversaries because I follow what is good. So here we see that sin is very, very attractive. Okay, because those who reject God, they're vigorous, they're strong, and they multiply. So sin can be very attractive. But I wonder, again, that as Christians, okay, are we as vigorous, are we as strong in our efforts to multiply in the kingdom of God as our enemies are and multiplying in their sin. Are we that vigorous? Are we that strong? Do our efforts match that of our enemy? I mean, David admits here, we follow what is good, so that means that we should do it with more vigor. We should do it with more strength than those who hate God in hopes that our multiplication will be even greater than theirs. I mean, we should want people coming to Christ at a far greater rate than those who are wrongfully joining the fight for evil, right? I mean, but we got to remember that our fight is not against flesh and blood. Paul tells us that in Ephesians 6, 12, but it's against principalities. It's against powers, against rulers of uh, the darkness of this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, Paul said. And I think we actually see that in this verse as well, because the Hebrew word here that David uses for adversaries in verse 20 it's where we get our word Satan. Same word. So don't forget who our real enemy is here as a believer, okay? And then we need to take that and then pray like David does here to close out this psalm, verses 21 and 22. He says, Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. So I think it's important that we note here that David is not worried about losing his salvation here. Okay, that's not what this prayer is about. No, he's wanting to regain his fellowship with God. He said, oh, my God. So he knows that he belongs to God already. Okay, even though he's been sinning or, or fell in sin in some way, he knows that the relationship isn't torn forever, but the fellowship has been broken. Okay, but now... He genuinely has repented of his sins, so he's looking forward to having that fellowship restored with his heavenly Father. And so he says, be not far from me. Again, what does sin do? It separates you. Confession will bring you closer, bring you near to God. Sin will separate you from him. So he's asking the God who has saved him in verse 22 to make haste and come near to him again. Guys, being out of fellowship with God should make it should make us very, very uncomfortable. We should not be good with that if we are out of fellowship with God. We shouldn't feel right, okay? If we're walking in sin, we should feel anguish about that. We should have a longing in our heart to be near 
our Heavenly Father again, not a longing to stay in that sin. And you know, many of the Psalms, we've already seen this, and we'll see more of it as we continue our study. Many of the Psalms end with praise. And I think that's beautiful. I love that about the Psalms. But interestingly, this one doesn't. Psalm 38 doesn't end with praise. It actually forces us to linger on the consequences of our sin. It forces us to think about the reality of our own sinfulness. And hopefully it broadens our appreciation for all that Christ done for us in giving his life for us. I mean, this psalm ends with David begging God to come closer and to get there fast. So I hope that what we learn here is that our sin should not drive us further away from God, but it should drive us to our knees in repentance, begging God to come near. God, get close to me again. I can't stand it when we're apart. I don't want anything to drive a wedge in between us. And that's exactly what our sin will do. will drive a wedge between you and your Heavenly Father. Confess it. Get it out. And beg God to come near again. Stay in fellowship with God and walk in repentance and faith with Him. I want you to listen to this quote from theologian Adam Clark and then we'll be done. But he writes, Whoever carefully reads over this psalm We'll see what a grievous and bitter thing it is to sin against the Lord, and especially to sin after having known His mercy, and after having escaped from the corruption that is in the world. And listen to this. He says, Reader, be on guard. A life of righteousness may be lost by giving way to a moment's temptation, and a fair character sullied forever. Amen. Never, ever forget that as a Christian, you're a little Christ. We represent Christ. So sin may not be a big deal to you, but may it never, Lord, may my sin never tarnish your name because I represent Christ and his kingdom. If I claim the name of Christ, then I don't want to do anything as a believer and as a follower of Christ to tarnish his great name. That helps me. When I think about it like that, it helps me to put my sin in perspective and it challenges me to live in obedience to his word through the strength that the Holy Spirit gives me. Because I know in my own strength I'll fail, but he will help me do this. He will help you do this. To walk in faith and walk in obedience to him so as not to tarnish his good name, his great name, the name that's above every name. Father, we love you and thank you for this study tonight. Thank you for Psalm 38. Um, what a brutal look into sin it is. And I just thank you again for putting Scripture like this in the Bible for us. Um, it's highly relatable. We all know what sin is like. We all understand the damage that comes from it. Um, every believer has felt remorse and regret and guilt from sin. Um, maybe some of us have even experienced physical pain as a result of our sin. Maybe we've experienced the trouble of outward sin, other people trying to hurt us. And so this psalm is very, very relatable. And we thank you for it, even though it's very difficult to look at sin in this light. And um, But we've all been there. We have all sinned against you. And we have fallen short of your glory. And so we ask you tonight, Lord, would you come near? Would you be not far from us? 
Lord, help us to turn from our sin like David did, to be in anguish over it, to not get comfortable and cozy with it, but to want to get rid of it. So thank you for your conviction, Lord, that you bring to our hearts, how you press down on our conscience, how you shoot those arrows into our heart, those arrows of conviction. Lord, they hurt and they sting, but they're so needed. And we thank you for doing that. That's a sign of how much you love us, that you won't let us stay comfortable in our sin. So when we feel your hand pressing down on our conscience that something's not right, maybe we're, we're living in unconfessed sin in some way. We've, we've let our guard down or whatever, and we've let sin into our life and we've become friendly with it. Lord, when that happens, then we've become an enemy of God. So help us to understand that and confess it and get rid of that sin in our life as quickly as possible. But we love you, Lord, and we thank you again for these many graces that you give to us, Lord. You do chasten those you love. And so if we're getting that, if we're feeling the heavy hand of God in our life, we can thank you because it's a loving hand. It's a hand that is drawing us back to yourself. So thank you, Lord, for that. Help us this week to apply the truth that we have learned. Help us, Lord, to be quick to confess our sin and to live a lifestyle of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.